0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: In the cell called, um, called ribosomes. And so, so you know that's how the, the RNA, mRNA vaccine works with these messenger RNAs that get shot into you and, and make stuff, right? Yeah. So can we take it one level deeper now in order to solve the world's most important story of all time? That's the question. And I do that with what I call biological smoking guns. Now, it would be great if we had a teaser music or some choral arrangement that would go biological smoking guns. Yeah, you know? <laughs> or like some
2: PBS thing from the '90s. Get like an old, like an old VHS graphic, like ta-ring! biological smoking gun, and it just shows like I don't know, little animated characters from Unit Seven Thirty-One and.
1: Yeah. It would be great, you know, just biological smoking gun. Yeah, you know, coming up. Okay, here, here, after now, the break, a, we, we'll,
2: we'll be coming back. We'll be going to Fort Dietrich Town. You got a bunch of little characters <laughs> <laughs> this week on our on our field trip to Fort Belvoir.
1: <laughs> the biological smoking gun. So, so now, why do I mention biological smoking guns? Because it's like detective work, right? The uh, detective comes in the house. There's the dead body. Uh, there's the screeching tires and the, the, the mark of the escape vehicle and so forth. And a lot of times the, the really sharp detectives will look somewhere between the dead body and the uh, wherever the shell casings are and then the, the car with the screeching tires to see where if they, they were in the haste and they dropped a gun that might have fingerprints on it and be able to clue into who actually fired the weapon. Right. Yeah. So that's how I'm using biological smoking gun. If we could figure out this biological smoking gun that we'll, maybe we'll figure out who did coronavirus. So I don't know. Probably. That's,
2: I mean, in my, <laughs> in my very limited knowledge, I mean, biology degree, we only, it was, I mean, I think it was the last class I took in my last semester was cellular biology, which is kind of the, kind of where I think all of this applies to and it was that was kind of like the cumulative course you took that and everything else kind of fed into that but as with anything I mean be it a, a podcast episode or, or or whatever or even like your style of writing um, you know like there's some like uh, I just finished a book about the NSA and there are these kind of cool passwords where it's not even passwords. What it is, is it's like your style of typing, like the down to like the millisecond, how quickly you use this key versus that key. And it creates your own fingerprint. And so for, you know, if you're the director of the NSA or something, uh, even if someone has the right password, the computer within a couple minutes will be like, this isn't so-and-so. Um, so with everything to the, uh, to the well-educated mind or someone who's experienced in that field, I can only imagine there's like a glaring fingerprint, you know, like, uh, there was the catch me if you can Frank Abagnale, right? Like he could, he could look at a check and they'd be like, yeah, you know, the FBI is like, yeah, no, our best guy said that this one's real. And he's like, no, it's not I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, look at the, like the teal, the teal dye that they used. On-. He's like, that's, that's, that's bullshit. And everyone was like, how'd you see that? And he was like, cause I used to do that. I can only imagine if you had a, a smart enough eye looking at it, they could probably see it. And then in which case, you'd have to ponder, did the people behind COVID foresee that? And like the FBI using Abagnale, would they not bring in the best ones and be like, hey, how do we obscure the fingerprint?
1: Boy, I'm glad you went there because it really limits down the number of possible suspects. yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, you yeah. Know. <laughs> so now, is Abagnale still alive?
2: Yeah, and, he... yeah, and he won't do my podcast either. So
1: I was going to ask you if you've interviewed I him. No,
2: it? I tried. He, uh, I, yeah. I got a response. I, I got a rejection. To me, that's a win because normally I don't even get a response. So I got a formal If rejection. you're
1: out there in Twitter land, make sure you t- uh, tweet Tommy's uh, uh, handle here and then say, Tommy uh, Kerrigan really wants to interview you. Yeah, he Frank mentioned Abagnale. it again. And Abignail is A B uh, I G I, Abignail. I, I, I have no idea. Okay. I, well, your pod. Give me
2: your handle on Twitter again. It's just it's just Tommy's T O M M Y S underscore podcast.
1: Tommy's podcast. Easy, easy, yeah. easy to do. So that that guy. I'll just go right to the chase here. There's Ab- Frank. Ab- there we
2: yeah?
1: go. Yeah, Big. Very cool. Catch me if you can. He's not the guy who did uh he's not the guy who did the movie with that was based on the Great Imposter by
2: I don't think so. I think what's
1: his no, Leonardo DiCaprio. No. Well, no, no,
2: DiCaprio isn't that and it's it's yeah, catch me if you can.
1: Oh okay. Yeah, now, it's about well, him, yeah. DiCaprio's original uh story was based on I thought this this guy who was the book was called The Great Imposter and Tony uh, Curtis played it before that. But you, yeah, that's before you were born. So the the guy who I think is the guy who solves the whole problem with coronavirus is this guy named David Baltimore. And uh, there he goes. There's Frank Abagnale with Leonardo DiCaprio.
2: This is where um, George gets sued for libel the exact time he says the guy I think is responsible for COVID and you pull up DiCaprio. it's going to sue you into the ground. <laughs> That, that was the suicide shot, George. What the hell was that?
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I think he did a good job of Howard Hughes. He did a great job in that movie. And, yeah, and he did a Yeah, he was he was he's pretty good actor. And it's 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 tough to be the Brad Pitt kind of guy. And then no one thinks you're a good actor because, you know, all the girls are swooning. But, you know, what the, I mean, let's um,
2: just let's just take a bold stance and say DiCaprio did do COVID.
1: <laughs> no it's, it's, you, no, no no no. but but the <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. but the concept is correct is there's a very few people who could catch a thief right that's what you put forward here that mm-hmm. there's only a very very select few people that could catch a thief a thief and david baltimore is the one who when he saw the foreign cleavage site in covid for the first time he said that's the smoking gun. That's the smoking gun, mean, meaning this was made in a lab, and worse yet, it was weaponized. Because I see a fur and cleavage site that never would be in a bat or any animal. It's only a human fur and cleavage site, and the human fur and cleavage site was put in there.
2: Could you explain that? Because that's actually something I, I've heard you talk about before. I've heard Malone talk about before. I can. I have to say I don't know what it is. I know it's fur and cle- Yeah, so... It's, it, okay. it is a thing it's like a fi- it's a fingerprint right it's a
1: well let me uh, Aaron bring up images for foreign cleavage there there's the quote itself so you can zoom in on David Baltimore's cr- quote and I wrote a book about it Tommy as you always uh, mentioned that I always try to write a book about this stuff and you'll actually see me uh, produce artwork about smoking guns in this book and the other books that I've written um, and there's eight bullets. And in this little eight bullet casings in our little play here, uh, little crime scene. Uh, but the first thing to recognize is what's a what's a what's a biological smoking gun? And David Baltimore is one of the very few people that can tell you what it is. Now, if you want to bring up uh, a graphic uh, of GP uh, one hundred and sixty, Aaron, it just do graphics of GP one hundred and sixty. Um, GP-160 is called glycoprotein uh, 160. And the reason why that the folks that were doing bioweapons were really interested in glycoproteins is it's the, it's what in, encodes every cell, but more importantly, it's also what hides or if it's how thieves dress up bioweapons so that your immune system won't recognize them. So The, the classic one is uh, Ebola. Ebola makes these three... There it is. Leave that there for a second. GP-160 was what Fauci, Redfield, and Burks were trying to illegally test and patent 30 years ago when they were illegally testing on soldiers. And it's the key protein involved in HIV. So this is to get the, the cell to attach and then to actually then penetrate into the cell. But 120 is the spike. 120 is the thing that attaches and then... GP41 is the thing that does the cell fusion that actually allows the, the uh, viron or viral material to get inside the cell, okay? And so you've heard a lot about GP120 and the patenting of GP120 and this whole coronavirus thing and so forth. But in order for that to happen, you have to split the thing. You have to cleave it, like leave it to cleaver. It was a story, you know, show that used to be on TV. You have to cleave it between gp one 20 and GP 41 in order for the thing to be active to, be 160, to work. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. 160 needs to be cleaved. And so that's known as a furin cleavage site. Um, furin is a protein uh, that can come in and do that. Now um, there are some sites that are, that plants have that do that. There's some sites that bats have, but those are different than sites that mice have and pigs have. And those are different again from humans. And so this is why when Frank Baltimore first saw the furing cleavage site, he said, that's if this is a bioweapon, that's where that's the telltale bioweapon marker, biomarker, smoking gun. And he called it the smoking gun. So starting with your premise, this isn't speculation by George or Tommy. This is speculation by a guy who won the Nobel Prize for this. And I'm gonna go to a second smoking gun. Uh, in gonna, in a second, I'm gonna year. put his
2: name down because I had actually never heard of david Baltimore
1: David Baltimore
2: I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to get in touch with him
1: yes uh he may uh he's tried to walk this statement back about the smoking gun because he got a lot of pressure from people ever since he said this yeah probably, but yeah. uh just so you know I mean you know the uh, used to be at the Salk Institute when Malone went over there but. Bob Malone would know him, you know, very well. Um, I'm going to try. So, so now there's not only one, but two, uh, two, uh, two sm- uh, foreign cleavage sites in coronavirus, which makes it two smoking guns. So this would be like you had two weapons, you know, a guy was doing the six shooter thing with both hands and dropped one on the floor on the way to the car and dropped the second one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And the the big news about Uh, about this Batwoman who everyone was suspecting uh, of leaking this thing. It turned out that the bullets, if you will, that she made at her factory weren't the Benelli bullets. They were the Sig Sauer bullets or whatever German bullets, but they weren't the Italian bullets. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She wasn't working on the version that ended up going all over the world. So the, the key question is they tried to make it look like she did it, right? And she was looking into gain-of-function and making new, new coronaviruses, but the final, final thing that did the murder was the Benelli bullet. I'm not saying the Benassi bullet. I'm saying the Benelli bullet, okay? But it came from somewhere else is my key point here. It didn't come from the lab, even though there was a lot of uh, speculation about the lab and so forth it turned out that the things that they were working on the lab were not that okay so one thing she did admit to and what they did tag her with was working on some version of coronavirus that was ninety six percent similar to the coronavirus, which is called rat g thirteen have you ever heard of the rat g thirteen thing mm-hmm. okay okay all right so this is when let's say a forensic analysis of here's the bullet that killed so-and-so and you've been making bullets in your factory over the last 10 years and you've got a 99, 96% match. So it would it's not the exact match, so you can't say, I know this bullet came from your factory. But you could say, I've looked at the bullets you've made in the factory over the last 10 years and you were heading in the direction of uh, this bullet. You know? This rat G thirteen. Okay, so this is
2: going to be really important. So, this one. So go ahead. what does so what that? Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, what does that imply? You're getting closer and closer to it, but it's not.
1: It implies that she was working on gain of function that that was getting close to the actual murder bullet. Okay. Okay. But not a hundred percent match. Okay. Okay. So that's like saying, uh, I know your factory makes was going toward making this, but we can't pin you with it, right? So if you want to do an image search on Rat g 13 Aaron, and Bat Lady, just to say Bat Lady, this was her big, when coronavirus broke out, this is the big discovery that she had been working on things that looked like the final bullet for 10 years. Okay. And you didn't tell anybody that you had done this work Four years ago, you were working on this. Four years ago, you had sequenced this thing four years ago, and you didn't tell the world about it until much later after the outbreak of Corona. And you could have helped everybody if you would have said that.
2: Or could right? it? Or it could imply that that if she, if, it, if the factory is producing bullets that are ninety six point one percent similar, that could also mean that. And this is just wild speculation, obviously. That you did this. On maybe you have like your own internal skunk works, or maybe you did something kind of off the books that you did,
1: right? It's exactly. That's exactly the charge that people are making Got is it. we didn't know what you did over four years and you're hiding that. Yeah. And we say that's what you did. Okay. So that's where Rat G's coming now. Now, here's the interesting work. There's a group out there. I don't know if you ever heard of Billy Bostickson no. before. No. Okay. And there's another name to write down. Uh, Billy Bostickson has this research group that's trying to find the origins of coronavirus. How oh, you spell the last name? Uh, it's B-O-S-T-I-C-K-S-O-N. Right. enough. And Aaron, if you want to bring up the drastic group, it's his research group around the world—a loose group of people like us and people who follow you, scientists, lay sleuths, people with you know who know a little bit about biology, et cetera. And uh, this is his, his group, which is called uh, Drastic. And there's Billy Bostickson. And his big work so far is called the October Surprise. He agrees with me that the early data for the breakout of coronavirus is not November. It's not December. It's actually in October at the big Wuhan military games. Okay, So uh, I'm laying the foundation here uh, for the big surprise that Billy comes up with. Billy finds eight more bullets on the floor. Okay, that are intermediaries between that 2016 bullet, 96%, heading toward the 100% bullet. He finds a 96% bullet, a 97% bullet, a 98, you know, 99, 99.5. Got it. So it's very, very incriminating. It's walking <laughs> you know? right up to
2: it. Yeah, it's right.
1: Right, there's the October surprise in Wuhan, okay? So this also I write about in the book. I call them the eight hidden bullets, right? These are the eight bullets that you don't, that you don't know about or nobody's knowing about. And does this mean that she did it? You know, it's sort of like almost, you know, leading right to her doorstep, mm-hmm. this zengli gal, okay? So um, that, that frames it up, and that's a lot of stuff, for just starting out the conversation. So I want to press pause here and let everybody catch their breath and and ask Tommy, how how have you been, how have you been, Tommy? Oh, the you, last oh no, no, I'm doing weeks? I'm doing
2: fine. Screw me. No, I'm listening to you, man. You we don't okay. need a pause. All no, right. keep going. If people can't okay. catch up,
1: that's their fault. Okay, that's fine. All right. I'm gonna keep going yeah. then. Okay. So now here's where I'd play that little jingle button if I had it. Bioweapon. Biological, biological smoking gun. <laughs> It's fun. Biological, it's fun. Brought, <laughs> yeah. to, brought to you by PBS. <laughs> Biological Smoking Weapon. Yeah. Brought to you from so, our proud okay. partners
2: at Raytheon.
1: Now, yes, a <laughs> proud partner. Now, here's an interesting thing about your biology, okay, of biology and coronaviruses and biology of other kind of viruses. <laughs> and they're just like people. You have some very positive people out there and you have negative people, right? And positive people meet people easily, right? Here we go. Earliest detections, that's out of the drastic research, I think, uh, the timeline where they talk about all the different breakouts that happened. Spain, May 2019, and then Italy in the summer, et cetera. There's a lot of breakouts that he's charted in this October Surprise. It's a really good article, and you could just put up graphics from October Surprise and Billy Bostickson I'll show if you want, because they're all really good, that's, well-researched. That's
2: so insane. September 3rd,
1: 2019. Yep. You Italy, uh, and, and it's down to the tracking of the group. So these people did the uniforms for the Wuhan Uh-oh. military games, and they're in this little village in Italy before they get on the plane, you know, they got on the plane here in Milan on this day and so forth.
2: Here's the real conspiracy. December 13th, blood samples from California, Oregon, and Washington test positive for COVID. It's the day after I started my podcast.
1: That's the real (laughs) conspiracy. You want to go
0: down the rabbit hole?
1: Well, uh, that's actually where we have a lot of the students, a lot of the thousand talents kids that seem to be involved in gain function with research with U.S. universities and professors here coming back to the United States for Christmas. Mm. So that, that just coincides into the West Coast and of course, Portland, Oregon, big Chinatown, Seattle, big Chinatown, L.A., big Chinatown, San Francisco, big Chinatown. So uh, I hate to do movies, but there was a movie with Jack Nicholson called Chinatown. And at the end, they always say, don't worry, Jake, it's Chinatown. So whenever you you get back to your corner as an investigator, they say, don't worry, Jake, it's Chinatown. It's just Chinatown. That's going to be my defense. The
2: Senate intelligence <laughs> hearing. Mr. Kerrigan, your ties to known bioweapons researchers is mounting uh dangerously fast. I'll be like, don't worry about it, guys. It's Chinatown. But we'll be like, that's <laughs> that's horrifically offensive, and I'll be like, don't worry about it. It's Chinatown.
1: It's Chinatown. And and I hate to say this, but this whole thing might be Chinatown. And uh we'll get there in a second. But okay. but so so you got the whole situation here. You got Billy bostickson this gra- drastic group, it's PhDs and, and just sleuths, amateur internet sleuths all over the world. They're all contributing this stuff. There's another group collating all the information. They're doing timelines. They're doing charts. They're compiling this information and looking at breakout information and so forth. You got that. All right. And they're the ones who come up with the hey, Zeng Li, Bat Lady. So if the Bat Lady came out and said, well, it's true. I did have a 96% bullet in 2016 and i i know i didn't admit to that you know sort of like a perry mason where they start you know closing in on the questioning and then perry mason comes up and has another fistful of bullets and goes and what about these slam and they go all over the floor you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's it's the meme of like the investigator interrogating well you know (laughs) where were you well what about this throws down the fucking manila folder of the private eye photos or something some CSI bullshit. That's ex-
1: yeah. That's exactly what we're talking Here
2: about. Here, we found the panties in your car. We found the gun in your home.
1: <laughs> that's exactly boom, what boom. we're talking about. Boom, boom. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then cut to commercial, right? Yeah. So, v- there you go. This is Chinatown. Uh, and there's Jack Nicholson in Chinatown. And uh, it's a great movie. And it turns out uh, that it does also set in LA. And I've actually spent a lot of time in Chinatown, uh, so we'll get back to Chinatown. Adam Schiff spent time there, and there's people that carry the Imran awan oh, blackberries. Oh God! That, that also are back to Chinatown. I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. So okay, so we got the we got Zeng Li as the woman on the stand getting accused of coronavirus, right? We've got her with the one ninety-six percent bullet that the detective or the or the Perry Mason guy has put on her witness box. It says ninety-six on it. And then he says, Well, how about ninety-seven? And then another ninety-seven and a ninety-eight, and a ninety-eight, and a ninety-nine, and a ninety-nine point five, and he's all lined these all up, leading up to the hundred percent solution that that did it. Yeah. Okay. So that's Billy Bostickson is that guy doing that, lining the bullets up. I'm giving him full credit. Sure. Okay. But we don't have the 100%. We haven't got it to the 100%. So we need to bring in the expert witness. And I've always learned this from my a lawyer, uh, sage, consultant uh, friend, uh, a guy by the name of uh, John O'Loughlin, nicknamed McDuff. I did a lot of shows yeah, yeah, with him. You,
2: you, yeah, you got your books about him, right?
1: Y- yeah, you know him? You've seen him? You've seen well,
2: no, him? no, I know him through you.
1: Okay. I've, I've, you know
2: yeah, I've, I've mentioned, yeah, I've seen all the names in your book. By the way, everybody listening, all the books will be in the description, as always,
1: of my podcast, all the links to other yeah, books. This is his dad, the FBI guy, Hoover's, mm-hmm. man, Hoover's man to take down the CIA and so forth.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay, so so you got the McDuff solution, which McDuff, now the son, is the attorney, Georgetown attorney, and he says, hey, we need to close this deal. We need to put the guy on the stand that actually is the expert That'll get us from the 99.5 to the 100%. Okay. And he says, I would like to call the stand David Baltimore. Okay, here he comes. Mr. Baltimore first established his credentials. You won the Nobel Prize. What did you win the Nobel Prize for? Oh, my work in viruses. Oh, that's really great. Well, what did you discover? Well, I actually discovered retroviruses. That's the thing that the AIDS, vi- uh, HIV viruses use to copy themselves in to replicate themselves to spread when they infect somebody. Oh, wow, HIV, you discovered that. Okay. Well, what else did you discover? Well, I found out that there were some viruses, just like people, Tommy, that are negative, and some viruses that are very positive, like coronavirus, right? and i found that for coronaviruses you didn't need any helper helper for them to meet up and do stuff okay you know like you me and you we go to the barbecue we start talking we have a beer you know we're we're socializing pretty easily sure. right we don't we don't need any hamburger helper yeah, we're
2: yeah, yeah yeah kind of yeah no, i know i know what you mean just slide on into a conversation with kind of anyone
1: yeah but there's some negative Viruses out there, like the flu virus. There you go. You can make it big. There you can do uh, an image search with uh, David Baltimore and retroviruses. But yeah, he gets the uh, he gets the Nobel Prize for retroviruses. That's a big deal. This is this is the McDuff. Let's ex- establish the expert credibility first. Nobel Prize winners. There's a small group, yeah. right? There's only like one a year. There's only a yeah. hundred years. You know, most of them are dead. Sure. This, this is the top guy, right? And then he says, well, there's this other little thing, this helper that the negative viruses need that the positive viruses don't need. There he is for the Nobel Prize in Medicine Physiology, right? It's going to be David Baltimore. And man, I'm telling you what, not, there's something funny about those eight bullets that Billy Bostickson put out on that witness stand, and I'll tell you what it is: is they all have, they all have that helper, some sort of like, like there's some bullets that you can't fire unless you get, put gun grease on them. Yeah. You know, and without that gun grease, they'll jam. Yeah. And they won't, they won't fire, right? And then that's going to be the thing that, if you don't have this gun grease, those bull, bullets they could be a hundred percent. But if there's no gun it wouldn't grease, matter, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. They wouldn't fire. But the funny thing is, with coronavirus, you don't need the gun grease. Okay? And it's funny that they put the gun grease on all the bullets anyway, meaning that it could be a negative virus that was actually fired and not coronavirus. Hmm. Why would you put the special gun grease that only the bullets that need gun grease on the bullets if you didn't need it? Cover your tracks? could be. I'm not. That's a K- very good kicking, possibility. Kicking up dust. The whole thing is, you know, it's crazy. But it's called RNA-dependent. And this is where the biology lesson comes in, right? I told you it was coming. RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. The polymer polymerase is sort of like the grease. It makes stuff happen. Okay. And RNA-dependent means it's actually in the RNA. So what I'm saying here is in order for someone, if I wanted to use a bioweapon, let's say, uh, that had both, uh, there it is, RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. If I wanted to use, if I, if I created a monster, okay, virus, up there in the corner of the Wikipedia monster, that had both coronavirus and flu, and it was actually going to be the flu that killed everybody, I, was, I actually am going to go find the 1918 flu, and I'm going to resurrect it, and I'm going to put it into this wacky new monster Frankenstein coronavirus, and then I'm going to have coronavirus. I could make it look like Zengli did it because she has all those bullets in front of her, right, and cover the fact that I actually shot them with the flu bullet. I didn't shoot them with the coronavirus bullet. I shot them with the flu bullet. And the fact that there's this RNA-dependent RNA polymerase there leads me to believe that there was some other negative virus, like the flu virus, like I've been saying. I wrote a book about it called Spray Me in Dutch. that actually was the thing that fired the shot. Now, that's a little bit complicated without evidence, but then you look to the fact that the test, the PCR test, for coronavirus couldn't tell the difference for almost two years between coronavirus and the flu and all the numbers for the flu and coronavirus go like this here's the flu like this here's coronavirus and as this goes up this goes down until finally flu goes to zero right and then coronavirus is all these deaths right but I'm just saying, if you made something, if you made something with two spikes, if you made it with the corona spike and the flu spike, you could hide the fact that you were killing people actually with the flu spike and not the corona spike. Um, right? So it's a double gun, a double bullet gun. You know, it's a gun that, like you say, you could plant with Zengli and say, you did it with a corona gun. In the meantime, we got him with the flu gun. Yeah. So this RD RP, it's called this RNA-dependent RNA polymerase, RDRP, turns out it's only found in all the things that that uh, uh, in those eight, eight special bullets, you find this RDRP. You don't find it in any other work that she did. So it could be that this is a secondary that's required to weaponize any bioweapon.
3: Yeah,
1: right. She, you, you can go ahead and do all the stuff on your primary, but without this special gun grease that we have here at the State Department at NATO, right? You ain't gonna get it. Ain't gonna work. But if you do have the special secondary piece here, you know, sort of like chemical weapons work, then that is what enables this thing to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I say this is the person who discovered this. David Baltimore. David Baltimore, RDRP. He discovered, I believe he got a Nobel Prize for uh, uh, RNA polymerase as well. It's it's another reason why he would say, hey, uh, this is a smoking gun. Pretty technical um, subject, and it's hard to sometimes present these little bit more complicated things, but I just find it interesting that the eight bullets that Zeng Li denied sort of like they knew someone was working with her like let's say the state department or this lab from Winnipeg in in Canada that was giving her this stuff and she didn't necessarily know that it had this other component in it and but it's it would track back to her yeah and it'd be like the grease they put on guns sometimes and then the the killer looks at the gun and yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, and has the – so do you think it was – do you think it was planted to make it look like her?
1: I do. I do think it was planted to make it look like her because she didn't have – like I said, she didn't have the 100% yeah. match, the, yeah. the ballistic match. But somebody was working with her to give her the RDRP, the RDA-dependent uh, polymer, polymerase. And those were the things that she hid and wouldn't talk about because that's the classified part of her program. That's the part that when somebody says, okay, we're ready to test this on the Uyghurs in 2011 or 2012, or let's say 2013, RATG 13 is the 2013 version of that weaponized thing. And they try that. And then there's a weaponized version of 2014. Again, the State Department has to bring in the weaponized ingredient to make it deadly and so on and so forth. And the reason why there's eight versions is you count forward eight years between 2011 and 2019, and that's how you get eight versions. That's what I actually think happened. Um, and there's the, the interesting thing about David Baltimore is he's the one who discovered that this telltale um uh, promoter or, or grease or, or preliminaries was needed for the negative uh, RNA. And he's the one who said that's the smoking gun. So I just wanted to to throw it out there, Tommy.
2: No, I think uh, you're. Yeah, I think you're doing a brilliant job. It's insanely complex. I think you're doing a brilliant job at it.
1: Yeah, I I I, I know that uh, it's it's getting into the technical uh, weeds a little bit, but it but in a court, you have to. figure out somehow to make it simple and you have to bring in the expert witnesses that make it simple and you have to give an analogy that's accurate and understandable. So that's my first attempt and I'll keep going. I'll keep trying uh, as we go forward. But the person I would want to call to analyze the evidence would be one, David Baltimore for seeing the real, like, why did you call it the smoking gun? And I plan to call David Baltimore in my case against CNN on the origins of coronavirus. So we'll see how that all turns out.
2: So what's the, yeah, hold on. I'm going to run to the restroom for a second, which I know I always do. And I, I destroy the podcast. So George, <laughs> no, I, need, it's okay. I need you to monologue.
1: I will. I will monologue. Um, so I will uh, talk about a book here that, um, uh, it, Elaine Dewar uh, wrote, which, covers this. So you can see third party verification of somebody other than me talking about this. And she wrote it. It's called, okay. It's called the origins of the deadliest pandemic in a hundred years. And interestingly enough, right. Interestingly enough, it's, I say that the, and I've said this for people who follow me, a book that I wrote about two years ago after the, um, the Potomac group met in March of 2020. That it could very well be that the spike, the killer spike in coronavirus, there it is, the killer spike in coronavirus actually was the reconstituted, resalvaged uh, spike, the hemoglutin spike from 100 years ago. The same thing that's causing the pandemic now is actually a rediscovered and reconstituted. I don't think it was ever lost, to be honest with you. But it's it's not anything new at all. It's a it's a rehash. It's a redo. It's a repurpose. It's a repeat. It's a repeat. It's like a bad Gilligan's Island episode. Uh, but it's been packaged and hidden in coronavirus. And all of the time we come back because he doesn't know Gilligan's Island. I know of it. So, you know,
2: I know. Um, So is there any way to find who would be the one that is uh, or I guess that would be the investigation of who is planting it on this woman to make it look like it's her?
1: Well, that's a that's the very good question. And in this book that I just showed you, okay, which Elaine uh, Dewar did, which is uh, called Origins. There it is. She says that uh, what she's looking for, she's not, doesn't necessarily agree with everything I say. Sure. But she says that there was a uh, like a wholesale forklifting of many pathogens from Winnipeg, the Winnipeg lab in uh, central Canada, in Manitoba, through, this, through two doctors. One was a doctor named Qui, Q-I-U, and the other one was the subject of this show, Heinz Feldman, Heinz Feldman. And that's how we get to Heinz Feldman. And I will show how Heinz Feldman knows everything about what I just said. And he is one of the few people other than David Baltimore that has this level of knowledge. Um, and there's Qui. There's so if you do Cui and Feldman, or you can go to my Twitter, you'll see a lot of pictures of Heinz, Feldman, and Quee. But this is one of those episodes where Perry Mason goes out to make the uh, casting of the tire tracks and uh, you know the footprint t- uh, casting and so forth, collecting the evidence. And I made a film of actually what actually happened and we'll play that film for you to recap, but it's actually people took the pathogens out of the Manitoba lab. You'll see in the panel, the Manitoba lab, a picture. You'll see a 360-degree rotation around the Manitoba lab, and then you'll see these pathogens in seven different round-trip flights back and forth being flown to Wuhan, and there's 12 to 24 different scientists, maybe as many as 50, that are also going back and forth between Wuhan and Winnipeg and it may turn out that Wuhan wasn't even ready until July of 2019 finally to be operational and and it was all the work was actually being done in Winnipeg and Aaron I don't know if it's possible to play my uh, Twitter video for Tommy but I wanted to show it to everybody so he could visualize what's actually happening uh, here at the at the Winnipeg lab but for instance the Ebola team, uh, Heinz Feldman. Well, let's go ahead and just play it for for Tommy. Here we go. There's Heinz Feldman. A little more volume here. <laughs>
3: Thank you.
1: Seven back and forth. We only could do two because it gets boring. But anyway, yeah. you get you get the idea that there's this book out there, which is the origins of the deadliest pandemic in a hundred years, and it could be the origins of the deadliest pandemic of a hundred years is from the thing that actually caused the pandemic a hundred years ago. It's the same exact pathogen, just combined with a wrapper of coronavirus, a so barely fairly harmless to actually convince the world that the bat lady did it and not the state department or NATO. So, uh, Tommy, uh, what do you think?
2: (laughs) No, I, I like, no, I like it. And it's, it's again, if you want I mean, let me get a sip of water, but we know that, I mean, think about like red cell teams, red cell teams in the military are, teams of your best guys that you use to penetrate your own security system. So like uh, Annie Jacobson talks about in her book, surprise kill vanish, um, how like the secret service would contract like Delta force to see if they could break onto the white house lawn. And obviously it's all hyper-classified, but you take the best of the best of the best. And they did find a way to somehow evade radar detection and to do like a halo jump and to actually get onto the white house lawn. And they were like, Oh my God. And then, what you do is Delta Force goes in and tells you exactly how they did it. And then you plug up all those holes. So you the, the point is you make it so good that even your best guys go, all right, yeah, no, no, this is impenetrable now. And then you're constantly updating. Um, so you got to think, just like we were saying, there's going to be a fingerprint to the, to the well-trained eye. If you were truly really trying to get away with this, You don't even need to go into conspiracies on why. Is it depopulation? Is it global past? Whatever. Just to figure out at the very base level who did it and why they did it. Well, you're going to be looking at it. You're going to be going a very few number of people are going to have a trained eye to look at this. You know, Delta Force had to get on the White House lawn. But eventually. People will turn to those well-trained eyes and go, what do you think about this? And to them, they will see very clearly Oh, there's a fingerprint. So what you'd want to do is go, all right, you'd have to, I don't know, you'd have to somehow turn one of them or at least get their imp or, or whatever and go, now you have the trained eye. How would you make it so even you couldn't find it? And you'd go, well, shit, this is what I'd do. I'd X, Y, Z, I'd molecular biology mumbo jumbo. You'd wrap it in this. You'd do this. You'd add that. What could you, would anyone be able to tell then? No. Or, or yes, but without 100% certainty, it would be, you know, it's fuzzy, it's, it's, it's having Lee Harvey do it and then killing Jack Ruby, or Jack Ruby killing him and then Jack Ruby getting cancer, you just very, you know, you, you, you fudge it and fudge it and fudge it, until all of a sudden you can get pretty close, right? It's not like we're all stupid. Everyone, everyone knows it was probably the CIA, or at least the military industrial complex but you really can't get any closer than it because it's just this opaque ball and all the people involved themselves are dead. So I think that's kind of how I'm looking at it is that's how you would do it, right? You would would eventually know that the experts would come and look. You want even the experts to go, I don't know. And even if the experts can conclude, hey, it looks like this was purposely fudged, so no one could find out it still doesn't tell you who did it sure we can all come to the conclusion then hey this is a conspiracy someone did do this but we don't know who
1: well uh, that's a perfect lead in to how would you figure it out how would you trace with those learned hands yeah and those few people with those few learned hands and their signature like you mentioned before and, and their Uh, rhythm of typing their password and so forth those things are so individual so signature to the individual that they almost give it away okay Ah. and that's where i'm going right (laughs) exactly where you so it's exactly where where you were cell team
2: and it's going you know i don't know how they did it but you're like i know the commander of delta force and you're like that's how he would do it that yeah so it's so unique it almost it almost screws you over
1: yeah haptics or what even beyond yeah. haptics which is like psycho haptics yeah. you know yeah that it's... this person only could have made that sense yeah. right and and that's where we're going because if you look at how david baltimore actually got those nobel prizes okay he got those nobel prizes with rna by substituting rna is a lot easier than books RNA it, well, in the books we use twenty six different letters, right? RNA the book only uses four four letters, and um, the letter U is only used in RNA. T is the the substitute in, so. in, DNA, in DNA. So if you use uridine, which is the only used in RNA, let's just say this is short books or RNA. On the whole, and big books are DNA. Okay, all right. If you only wanted to experiment and look at viruses that are RNA viruses, you just look at the U. Okay. And interestingly enough, the way David Baltimore made all those discoveries was he put a radioactive bead on the uridine, right. Made it, And all these experiments, since he first discovered this RNA polymerase and discovered reverse transcriptase, was because he put a radioactive bead on uridine, which means everything since 1975 and his discovery, I think his discovery actually goes back even further, but uh, be, the Nobel was given out in 75. He, only, he was only 37 when he got the Nobel, right? Jeez. That means all of his research since then, is very uridine based. And the other thing he found out is that you can silence the effects of the RNA like make a vaccine not be deadly, right? If you just substitute a urid instead of uridine, you add a little bit of a substance that makes it a little more complex and it's a pseudo uridine. You come up with a uridine substitute, you can sort of nullify the thing that caused, let's say, the 1918 uh, pandemic, smallpox, or the uh, flu. So I can take the flu, if I'm Erasmus lab, right? I'm the Spray it in Dutch lab. I can put pseudouridine in all the places that were killer, okay, in the original virus, and now it's a deactivated version. Sort of like taking the cap off, putting a cap on the pens oh, yeah, yeah. so it can't write anymore, or putting a sheath on a knife so it can't stab anymore. And then, in order to weaponize it, all I do is yeah, pop it off, revert it, revert it back to the original. And Tommy, would you believe that in every person getting the mRNA vaccine today, they're getting this substituted pseudouridine? They're not getting the original uridine in any of the RNA vaccines. They're getting the pseudo uridine that's going into everybody's bodies in these millions and millions of Billions. vaccines. Billions uh, is pseudo uridine, meaning that what they're getting could be weaponized very simply by just going back oh. to the original uridine. So there's just a kill switch, potentially. Potentially, there's another thing at play here. That that's the really, really dark interpretation.
2: God, I'm, my, I'm, I'm, I'm so gonna get killed if it wasn't if it wasn't interviewing Malone or Alabek, It's this one. This is the one. All right. Well, well let's right. make it worse. It's a, well, it's a sunny Sunday. You know, there are worse ways to go. <laughs> Fuck
1: it. Hey, Kennedy, Sonny. Sunny day. I think it was
2: a sunday. It was a it was a sunny. You know what? Oh. <laughs> the bubble top was down. All, all right. You know what? We were bubble the tops sun. down. George is wearing George, I'm I'm in a suit. George is wearing Jackie's pink sweater. Fuck it.
4: Let's go for a ride.
2: <laughs>
1: we're done. Everyone's hey, in on,
2: Everyone's in on it. The bubble tops down. No one's looking at the windows. There's no one on the on the riders on the side.
1: And, and, hey, let's forget about sealing those windows. When everybody wants s- to hang out of window. we just
2: going to do it. And <laughs> whatever. Whatever. You, you know what? The sun's down. There are worse ways to go.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to throw out something that might make it not so bad. And that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's already done. <laughs> well, they discovered. Okay. And I'm just going to go on. You've interviewed Dr. Judy Michaelwitz, correct? No. Have you tried? No. How do you spell it? Mikovitz is uh, M-I-K-O-V-I-T-Z. She wrote the book called uh, Plandemic, or can, can't remember what her book's name is. Okay. But she's a pretty popular on the. Uh, Aaron will bring her up here on the on the talk show circuit. <laughs> Got it. Made a note. But yeah, but she would just tell her you interviewed Malone seven times, and she'll have she'll go on your show. Um, but. Dr. Judy Michalowicz originally was saying, hey, I worked with this guy named Frank Gallo, right? And he worked, and he was one of the original persons that that took David Baltimore's discovery of retroviruses, and he found the first thing that a retrovirus was used to do to create a disease, which was for leukemia. He said, hey, this retrovirus causes leukemia, and then they discovered that first virus, the leukemia virus. Okay, well, what she said was, hey... That caused a lot of, of, of interest in this RNA, these little strips of RNA that could cause all these things. And the scientist, Bob Gallo, didn't know what the other, they found the one that did leukemia, and they said, ending plague, there you go. And then the other one she did was uh, uh, Plague, A Scientist's Intrepid Search. So she did Plague and then Ending Plague, the two books she did. Oh, Plague of Corruption, I'm sorry. Plague of Corruption was her book, right? So she said, well, Bob Gallo, after he found the first um, XMRV, they called it, a a mouse, murine, mouse retrovirus. They use mouse viruses. The first one they found caused leukemia, but they had 1,157 other ones. And they didn't know what they did. So they, they, they do what every good virus researcher does, Tommy. They threw it in the hopper. They threw it all in the vaccine hopper and and, and decided to, you know, like a beer, you know, just like, I don't know what all this does. This is what she says. Just mix it up. (laughs)
2: Mix it up, shaken, not stirred. Fuck
1: it. And I think they probably had vaccine batches where it was XMRV1, XMRV2, in order to figure out what each one did. But basically they took all the, this is what she says, not me, all 1157, Uh, Heinz 57 and threw it all in there and this actually may be where the joke Heinz 57 even comes from but by seeing what happened to people like chronic fatigue syndrome or Tay-Sachs or Lyme disease or whatever was caused then they would have a whole library of weapons basically and then their job is to come up with vaccines against the weapons that's what she said she did. Okay, but they'll understand a lot more about the human body and the human immune system and so forth. Okay, so we got that. That's how the first retroviruses were diagnosed, what they did, the cause and effect, the mechanism of action, or whatever you want to call it. Okay, well then they discovered through this testing that there were these little short stretches of RNA that your body used called microRNA, okay? And microRNA... Uh, had an interesting property of being used in your body for all sorts of different stuff for regulating your body, okay? And they were doing a lot of HIV research and AIDS research, and they said, we only understand, same situation, we only understand a little bit of the what one or two of these little mRNAs, microRNAs do. One of them was this RDRP, right? That was in, so important for negative viruses. So let's... Do what we did with the, the last one, with the batch. Maybe if we just took all these microRNA and threw them into vaccines and we, we made them not killer by putting in pseudo uridine, we could find out a whole bunch to see what happens. You know, just put them in the RNA vaccines. What I'm saying here is, I'm not saying little robots that are self-aware or yeah, yeah. Graph, graphene or anything. I'm saying exactly these untranslated regions that are admitted to by BioNTech. They're admitted to by Moderna that these things are in there. The MicroRNA. I don't know if you can bring up micro RNA um, of, of pictures, images of micro RNA, but uh, just to, uh, if you do an image search, micro RNA and viruses um, uh, we, we might get some, some good graphs here, but that, there is a potential here. This is sort of Mark Kulak's in the chat. There is a potential here that if you don't understand something that's wildly complex and you have thousands and thousands of different combinations, just go ahead and push it all into the vat and see what happens. And then we'll be able to fare it out, you know, segment by segment what stuff does by only putting one, you know, a part of the RNA in this batch and then the next segment, two will go in that batch and so forth. Uh, they're, they're, um, this is important because of what I was saying before. This can make the gun fire or not fire. This can do what they call RNA silencing. And it turned out in March of 2020, and I know this is a long way around to March 2020 when we did all this research, but we found that the guy at Fort Detrick who was doing all of the work in mRNA silencing and working with these mRNAs, was one guy named Sina Bavari. And he was working on this strategy, a virus vaccine game strategy with one Virginia Banassi at Banassi V WHO.int. Those were other smoking guns we found, different kinds of forensic evidence. But it also turns out that this technical, biological way of doing things required this mRNA silencing. And we've done a lot of work and looking at how this would allow you to have the perfect lock and key for any kind of bioweapon going forward. Anything that, that you discover, you could always take it from the pseudo uridine to the uridine to weaponize it. Is that what happened in Wuhan? Is that what happened at the World military games? Well, you'd have to show me a lot of back and forth between the State Department. You know, You'd have to show me a lot of back and forth between the Wuhan lab and Winnipeg. Well, I can show that. And I wrote a book about it called Bavari 911." So this has been a, a, a technical broadcast so far, but I wanted to lay the foundation with the audience to say uh, there's a lot of various avenues of research and inquiry that are kind of all honing in on two people. One is the scene of Bavari, um, and the other one is Virginia Benassi of NATO and the WHO.
2: so do you think it do you think and this is just wild speculation if there is like a kill switch this is the one thing i think of is like if it is depopulation and i'm not convinced it is but if it is i think it's kind of like when people say like the future is not going to be 1984 it's going to be brave new world it's always you always want to do the easy you don't want to go in with a jackboot in the tanks because people rebel you want to you want to kill them with McDonald's and Netflix. It's a lot easier, right? I've, 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 pondered like if there was going to be a depopulation, you wouldn't just have people drop left and right because you would have just revolution. What you would do is maybe only like attack like the ovaries and the testes. It would be a passive. We're no doing, we're not killing anybody. It's just all of a sudden no one can really have kids. It's just enough that people would, not rebel they'd be angry and they would do marches but as opposed to people like bodies just mounting in the streets if it just turned out that in 20 years you can't have kids it people would be very angry i'm not trying to make light of that but that's how you would sort of ease into it you know you you can't go all out you can't it would just be this very subtle you could blame it on other shit blame it on climate change or something but they'll say we didn't know. But there won't be the imagery of everyone dying that got the vaccine. It'll just, and you might not even need to completely remove the ability to reproduce. Even if you just did like seventy-five percent, you could be like, "See, it wasn't intentional. It's was just a freak side effect. We didn't know. You never again. Whatever." But it could be a way that you could just, you know, yeah. very covertly.
1: Do it. Yeah, I think that uh, maybe in, in happening with the suicide rates of young people, the overdose rates of young people, I think in the, in the older ages above 60, the comorbidities, you know, if you can introduce three or four or five comor- comorbidities and somebody dies from a, a, a whole basket of things, it's much easier for the doctor to say the person died of old age, you know even though there is no such thing. But they had liver failure, they had kidney failure, they had metastasizing cancer in the pancreas, they had uh, high blood pressure, they had um, you know shortness of breath, et cetera, uh, all these other things that mean that people get old and people die, yeah. you know, and then we can't. And I, I, I think we were talking about this earlier with some of the, we're having yet another uh, get together, what we call a charrette, where people do research and, and saying that would be the way to do it would be to, especially with people my age getting social security for 30 years. You know, the way to do this is, Hey, get rid of the George Webbs. We need the Tommy Kerrigans. Um, they are a lot better interviewers. They're shockingly handsome. Uh, and these older guys, you know, just kind of clouding up the screen here.
2: No, I think it would be very passive. You wouldn't go all in. You would just kind of, dial up the existing mortalities you would just make those a little worse right like that's what you would do you don't you don't want to go you know it's like you don't want to china doesn't want to overtly invade seattle or something and nor do they want to try to start a grassroots riot because very easily could be traced back to them what you would want to do is maybe stoke the flames of BLM or Antifa or the Capitol riot or the truckers. You'd maybe want to take an existing thing and just turn the knob up a little more. It's not, you really can't bring it back to you. Some people might be able to, but it's going to get lost in the, it's going to get lost in the mix of like, was it just organic or are the truckers actually mad? And yes, it is. But you know, I you know, bet your ass that, china and russia are trying to stoke that because it's very easy there's sort of like a built-in plausible deniability i think that's what it would be is you wouldn't just go outright dr evil everyone drops dead you would just want to kind of dial up the existing mechanisms of of death which is which would just be another way of saying depopulation would be death
1: right And that's low intensity warfare or SOLIC or special operations, low intensity conflict, as they call it down there at Fort Dietrich. excuse me, Fort Bragg. Um, so I'm going to move away. You mentioned the truckers, Tommy, and, and I had some, um, you know, I I was on my, I was sitting on the tarmac waiting to go to Montreal. And then some people uh, said some nasty things about me and, and may have prevented my, uh, going to Montreal, but, um, and then I was going to take the train to Ottawa, but I noticed there was a lot of talk about, uh, you know, Soros or some other type of funding, a DOD type, special psychops type funding for this thing. And not that there wasn't great truckers all along the way, but they're infiltrated as you go. 100%.
2: Yeah.
1: 100%. And and then the, the fact that I had done this story about this guy named Bouchard, who was in the NORAD um, command between Canada and the United States and NATO. And he had then gone on to be the guy who did Libya, the bombing campaign in Libya and a lot of chemical and biological weapons in Libya. And it was Winnipeg. He was based out of Winnipeg. The first wing there was in Winnipeg for because it's over the horizon missiles. Mm-hmm. There he is. There's, there's Charles Bouchard. I've been talking about this for 6 years with Bouchard, how they always farm out the chemical and biologicals to in NATO to Canada. And it was run out of this Winnipeg lab. So the fact that this Winnipeg lab was also sending all this stuff to Wuhan over these 4 years getting ready for the Wuhan military games. I mean, right up to they might have been moving like equipment in right up to 7 uh, September 11th. You know, they were doing air conditioning as late as August of 2019. Um, but, but all the trucks went right through Winnipeg. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful cover of moving all this stuff back to some other NATO location, just feed it into all these trucks. Absolutely. You know, and there it goes. And I thought, well, I don't want to hear about that. And then I saw this woman get arrested, named or Lish, L-I-C-H, and I ran her, I have this thing, Ben verified, you look them up. And then she didn't have any history in, in the United States or Canada. And she had a fake name. She had five fake aliases in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I didn't, I didn't really say anything. I didn't do a show on that. Uh, but then I saw this press conference with these three guys after everyone was getting arrested and, you know, they're going up and arresting one person and then 10 minutes later they arrest one mother and then so forth. They're very selective. They like select, someone's ratting them out and knows, is pointing them out with facial recognition. Um, that there was three guys. One of them was a sniper yeah. for Parliament House. The other one was a military guy. And the third one was a military guy. And it's like, where are the truckers? You know, are all those people getting arrested and the military guys are the ones saying, send me the donations? It just seemed like they said a very nice thing. They said that they were all peaceful and everything. But it just seemed like, hey, we're arresting right now as you we're comforting you here, saying what good guys we are and taking the cash. We're actually arresting one by one all the the people who actually believed in this. And I'll get your thoughts because I know you've been covering this story, too.
2: No, I think that's probably definitely what's happening is well one, you're just gonna have people hijack any movement. But two, it's just it's it there's almost it's almost the problem with like peaceful assembly. Is I mean it's like a Rubik's Cube. You give it to like a monkey, like after a long enough time it'll figure it out. It might take it millennia. They've kind of, you know, they've done it with the constitution. They've done it with, you know, using lobbying or uh executive orders they've kind of done it with peaceful assembly they're not really allowing some uh some mlk stuff from the 60s to happen again whether it's occupy wall street or whether it's the Capitol, or whether it's ottawa it's you just gotta you just gotta put in some agent provocateurs you gotta wave a couple nazi flags and and then you can just discredit the whole thing it's 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 kind of blackpilling that it's like because the very nature of the peaceful assembly is like that it is organic, that it's not Soros bust end, that it's really just a bunch of people showing up, and that very nature of it being an organic, open, passive accumulation and coalescence of people means that nobody's—there is no rigorous entry and exit point. You can't look at someone and go, who are you? You're ex-CIA and you're carrying a, a swastika flag? you're clearly a, an agent provocateur. No, the whole thing is that it's very open and, and inclusive to everyone, which kind of, you can't really do peaceful assembly. Right. You really can't.
1: Yeah, I, I worried about it because I had been a part of January 6th reporting on that and yeah. I saw how they twisted that. And, you know, just a few people, if you set up the Kodak moment spots, the Kodak picture point spots with cnn Mm -hmm. it looks like every one of your ukrainians who's busting a window came from you know uh, manhattan kansas to to come to bust a window um yeah there was one guy with a flag Uh, there was one guy with a flag on january 5th too and i went up to him he's sitting on a curb and i said hey dude the war's over (laughs) like you didn't get the memo from stonewall jackson it's over dude yeah um, but
2: it's, yeah, it's uh, no, that's all you crazy. have to do. And then you win over the public support for the state coming in with the jackboot. That's how you get them. That's how you win them over. You see all these people on Twitter right now. They're cheering on the Canadian government freezing banks and going in there and beating the shit out of people and pummeling them with horses. You have people who are, you know, you have people, you can't make this up. You have people who, like, in their Twitter bio, it says, like, hashtag resist. And then they're saying, they're just cheering on state-backed power crushing an assembly of blue-collar workers who are there because they don't want to take an experimental big pharma profit cash cow jab. It is against everything that the left stands for, you know, natural remedies, uh, generic drugs, uh, big pharma is bad, you know, vitamins, minerals, herbs, exercise. It's, I mean, you almost can't, you almost couldn't write this. An experimental... My yeah, my body, my, my choice. Bo- but my think about that. Choice. I mean, you it checks all the boxes of just the opposite of what they stand for. Experimental vaccine, not, not vitamins, not natural remedies. Experimental vaccine. Not your body, not your choice. Being pushed by big pharma in collusion with the government, which is fascism. And when blue-collar workers, workers of the world unite, assemble peacefully they then get trampled literally have their bank accounts frozen and the people on the left are are cheering it on
1: i mean yeah, that really happened
2: <laughs> I, I mean but that's like actually that's like seeing a bunch of like republicans like defending like an abortion clinic you're like you couldn't write this like you couldn't yeah. it, it's so absurd I mean, it really is, I guess, just like hyper-normalization. It's just kind of blackpilling. You're like, what the hell is... Like, what's even the point?
1: It's completely flipped, and, you know, I said I wasn't going to say anything about the Manitoba lab going to this other lab that, or this other NATO location that I had researched a long time ago in Quebec. But, uh, um, supposedly, that was the route of the biological weapons 10 years ago in, in Libya and Syria, but and maybe Sudan and Yemen too, but, but I, I I'm not going to say anything about it unless they do something similar in the United States and unless the route goes by, in Utah, the Dugway Proving Grounds.
2: Yeah.
1: If if it doesn't go from San Diego to Washington D.C. in a straight sort of line, you know, if it goes to Dugway Proving Grounds first, so they can pick up all the Utah gun exchange, you know, that trust operation there. These trust operations bring people in and then they send everybody to jail. If if, if this goes by, Utah Gun Exchange and Dugway Proving Grounds, I'm, I'm going to say something. Well, I looked at the map thing today. It's going to supposedly leave uh, next Friday, I guess, and then be at, in Washington by the 1st of March. And it's like the Dugway Proving Grounds, you know, first we go to Dugway and pick up to all the stuff and then we get all the guys at Utah Gun Exchange, all those guys and you know, everybody's riding with one of the truckers, you know I'm like what? Utah? Up there? It's on, you know, that's like that's not going across the country, that's going north to Dugway. So right. it's, I, I, I'm I'm going to withhold my judgment on it until I see more of it enveloping but it just seems like right from the beginning now these things are Black pill, as you say.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm I'm like notorious, notoriously an optimistic person. But I don't know, like what I don't know what it is in like the last like week or so that's kind of set in with me. Maybe it's just like seasonal depression. I don't know, but like I'm starting to look at this and I'm like, is it all just fucked? Excuse my French, but like, like, can anything be done? Like, is there, and is that what they want? Do they want you to be disillusioned? And of course the answer is yes. I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's more depressing than normal. I don't, maybe I just need to like pull myself out of it and do some like fun UFO episodes
1: for a week or something. (laughs) But you know, it's, well, I tell you, uh, I, I do think there is a cure, uh, and we'll have everybody, uh, next week and we'll announce the cure. Uh, Tommy and I will secretly work on the the Cure episode. But I know one quick way, uh, Tommy, and that is always with a musical interlude. That usually picks your spirits up quite a bit. Aaron, do you have Orange Juice on Ice? This was the song that was played in the movie called Midnight Cowboy with John Voight and Dustin Hoffman. Every time they got depressed about them living in a cold water flat apartment with rats and no heat, In the middle of a New York cold winter, they would play the Orange Juice on Ice song. And even though they couldn't go to Florida, it made them feel good. So here it is, the Orange Juice on Ice song. I know Aaron's going to kill me. (laughs) Uh, Aaron, can you hear me? Orange Juice on Ice. or, Or just play. There it is. Here we go.
3: Orange juice on the ice Orange juice on ice is nice It's refreshingly cooler naturally
1: Yeah, that's good. And Aaron even the World out. Economic Forum
0: guy. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, tell us about that interview as we move. <laughs> oh, he, oh,
2: he's, oh, he's an, he's an anesthesiologist. We, we just talked about the World Economic Forum. Oh,
0: okay,
2: okay. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't been able to get any of those demons on my podcast. You're muted,
1: George sorry let me uh, ask you about these uh interviews because they're very interesting and there's a guy there how am i doing on the hit list the all-time only 88 views
2: 822 800, oh 822. That's very okay good. yeah all right that's good for you is yeah, that like yeah, on yeah, the yeah, upper yeah. half no no that i i'm hitting a threshold where kind of all my episodes pass like 100 now so anything over 100 i take is like you're beating roseanne bar. you're beating roseanne Barr.
0: Beating Roseanne.
2: Okay. Well,
1: you interviewed Roseanne Barr, yeah. Okay, all right. And now, who is Dr. Meryl Nass?
2: Uh, she's an internist up in Maine who had her license revoked for prescribing ivermectin.
1: Wow, that's a nice number, four thousand. There. Let's go through here. Let's see some other big ones that beat me here. Okay, Paul Adams. Go back a little bit there. Uh, uh, Paul Adams. What's his story? He he, he
2: runs the website No Jab for Me. I think he's been trying to build like a case uh a violation of like the nuremberg code
1: oh very cool clay martin i think i've heard of clay martin he's a green Ber- book- he's a green beret former green beret oh, very cool they got some good good hits there let's see uh, steve kirsch you beat, you, know, you, you beat you beat steve kirsch i beat steve kirsch yeah he's a, a, a outspoken critic right yeah
2: he invented the optical mouse
1: it's worth like a oh
2: billion. the optical mouse yes he's worth he's genuinely worth like a billion dollars
1: yes you know I know Doug Engelbart I I knew Doug Engelbart before he died at Stanford who invented the original mouse um, we uh, we had him in at a thing uh, at Sun but uh, that's really cool I did not know Steve Kirsch did something else too Steve Kirsch did something else in he So Valley.
2: he helped he helped the guys who. Made like the first ARPANET protocols. That's it. That's so it. He he's helped. an internet. He, po- yeah, yeah, yeah he, yeah, he, yeah. he helped invent the internet. Yeah, no, he's <clears throat>
1: yeah. He's, he's also money. very interesting too because he's a forensics guy. Uh, this this flu vaccine was the it was uh, was that the one. It was an
2: SSRI that they found actually helped. Uh, okay. COVID.
1: Okay. Great. This, I think this would maybe part of the domain program, uh, with Robert Malone, if I'm not mistaken. is friends with Malone. Yeah. 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 Okay. If we go back, this is awesome. We're just going through your filmography. You know, Tommy. if you want revenue for this, just send it over to neighborhood news. We'll put it to, we'll sell it out to the advertisers. We'll create a Tommy channel, you know, with,
2: I'm not making shit from this
1: bumpers. Okay. The Aaron, there you have it. We're taking the whole Tommy library. Going to make a Tommy news hour. We'll have bumpers on the front of it. Hey, this is Tommy, uh, you know, the Kerrigan's latest work. And then you we'll can, cut in. You
2: can monetize my my work, dude. Be my guest. You,
1: as, as long as we can have you as a guest yeah. to, come, to come in and comment on this. We have a couple of, of new DJs coming or VJs coming in that would love to go through your work when you're there or when you're not there and just go, hey, uh, this is kind of cool. And then do graphics. Yeah. Just do just do graphics to your interviews so that it would be, appear in a small window like we've got here, and then graphic, 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 graphic. Yeah. Good. Yeah. We got it. We got to We got to go on that. Okay. Yeah, let's go down the list. Is, is this sorted by number of views, Aaron? Is is this? Uh, let's start at the top here.
0: I think it's just the most recent, but uh, I see already you got a a Michigan State representative. I'm kind of looking up where if he's near us, we could we could throw him uh, throw him a fundraiser here. Oh, yeah. uh, I had him on on uh see yes, where he right. might be way up in the north, but let me check.
1: Well, let's see here. I'm looking here, Michigan State Representative. Uh, very cool. So Tommy, I think we've launched a thousand ships here. I think you've got Steve Cara. Huh. Steve Kara, what what's what uh, area is Steve Kara in? He's a young guy. Uh
2: I don't know. He's somewhere in Florida. I know he's, I know he is a state representative, but he's running for uh, US Congress.
1: In, in Florida or in Michigan?
2: No, he no. He's a he's a state representative in Michigan, and he's running oh. for U.S. Congress in oh in Michigan in, yeah in Michigan for twenty twenty two.
1: Does somebody want to give me a? Uh, uh, somebody says uh, I see a Tommy Kerrigan book coming. I think Tommy, you have a I've been there, I've been everywhere, man. Kind of book coming. You've with all these different interviews, amazing. Thank you. Um, how many seven hundred?
2: 712, I think.
1: Wow, that's amazing. I'm going to look up Steve Cha here and see Congress see what congressional district he's going after. Chair for Congress. here it is. And um, I, I normally am quicker. Yeah, he just got a thank you. It's Three Rivers, Michigan. Three Rivers.
0: President Donald J. Trump just endorsed my campaign for Congress. He knows that I'm the proven conservative fighter to defeat the anti-Trump liberal rhino Fred Upton. Together, we're going to win this race. Join me. Join President Donald Trump. Donate today at KaraForCongress.com. This is the race of our lives. We got this.
2: I think he was just endorsed by uh, Rand Paul as well.
1: Wow, that's pretty That's pretty cool. Um, I want to see where he's from now. Let's see. Steve Kara is tough on going. Southwest Michigan, a little-known gem. He's running in France er- territory. He's running in Blackwater little territory. And he's yeah. not going to be a rhino? Yeah, oh, my no goodness go. gracious. I'm, I'm going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's, it's, just, get killed. It's, it's, it's one of the episodes is going to get me killed.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Tommy, I think what we're going to do here is just create a Tommy Kerrigan Appreciation Hour where we do graphics. And uh, occasionally you'll dial in and it'll be like, the bat phone will have a, a big red phone out in the middle. It'll be the big Kerrigan hotline. And I go, you know, it'll, it'll,
2: it'll jiggle, you know, and everything. Do my logo up on the night sky on the
1: spotlight. <laughs> go, is this really Tommy Kerrigan? Hey, speaking of that, let's have I mean, a little show. I, I was going to
0: cut in for a dance here. I recognize number six ninety eight, mm-hmm. Dr. Christina parks. She was at the, hearing remember she was the one who oh, yeah. was right next to the Yamaka guy yes who yes who was the guy who of course was even weissman Dr. oh yeah no so keep, 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 keep and scrolling. then the Yamaka guy got up in a huff and he walked away when she started speaking because he wanted to hear her too right george yeah yeah put uh, her on I'll play her no, no, I'll
2: say, keep keep scrolling you'll see you'll see oh, we, okay. you'll see weissman as well
1: yeah you got all the uh doctor
2: that testified
1: Ron, all the Ron Johnson people. You yeah, should have keep, a playlist with just the Ron Johnson guys because I yeah. want to. I want to come back and play these.
2: Yeah, you'll see them. Keep going. Keep going. Keep. Going.
1: Because Weissman's the guy, uh, Tommy. That's the pseudo uridine. He's the pseudo uridine guy. Yeah, he's the guy with the pseudo uridine. Here we go. And we'll embarrass you now, Tommy. We'll we'll cut in and ask you to immediately cut in. Here we go.
2: We are recording and uh, not using the good microphone because it cut out halfway through the last episode, which it's never done before, so that's always a good sign. But episode 688 with Dr. David Weissman. Please introduce yourself, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and then we'll wing it. Does he okay, not well, have well, the
4: me No, me he, does. he does. Okay. okay. Uh, as long as he wears it so I'll meet you and... Um, my name is uh, Dr. David Wiseman. I have a PhD. Uh, I have a background in uh, experimental pathology, pharmacology, pharmacy. I'm a pharmacist in the United Kingdom. I haven't practiced for many years. Um, I, I was a uh, one of the top scientists at Johnson & Johnson uh, many years ago in the re- research fellow. Uh, there was about 66 of us at the time. I headed up uh, one of the programs in uh, internal scarring, or the program in some internal scarring, I left there nearly 26 years ago, and started my own R&D company doing R&D for medical product development with, with medical companies, big and small, Johnson Johnson, Genzyme, three M, many companies that you might have heard of, and a lot of companies you've never heard of and never will hear of. Um, I helped to set up a clinic uh, to look at the to diagnose and treat in an integrated manner people uh, the abdominal pelvic pain syndromes that uh, many people have and are very debilitating, uh, set up a patient advocacy group. And um, that's, that's been sort of most of my work for 26 years. And uh, then COVID hit about two years ago and I uh, dropped basically everything. And, and now I'm here. So um, what I've done in COVID is a few things. First of all, um, we I, with collaborators, including Care, Care Corey and others, Um, we reanalyzed some of the key data that was used to guide uh, national decisions, but specifically hydroxychloroquine. Uh, One of the studies uh, was was published in June of 2020. Um, That was one of the key studies that closed down hydroxychloroquine. We obtained the raw data. We found that there were data missing. We obtained the missing data. And once we did that, we turned the study around. So we actually showed there was a 42% Benefit of uh, a reduction in um, in COVID when you used hydroxychloroquine in a post-exposure prophylaxis setting. New England Journal of Medicine didn't want to publish that. Uh, we might have been able to save hundreds of thousands of lives um, had they had they published that. So that was a key study. That was a very important study that, that was one of the two studies that closed down hydroxychloroquine. Similarly, with ivermectin, we looked at a study published last March, April, in JAMA Journal of the American Medical Association. We got those data, and again, we showed we, we found certain uh, issues with those that study, and showed a fifty-six percent reduction in um, in COVID uh, with ivermectin. And then subsequent to that, been working on vaccines, vaccine safety, looking at what they call safety signals. Um, that's a long discussion, uh, and specifically focused on what FDA and CDC are doing. So together with a number of different collaborators, we have made, I think it's up to about 13 different submissions to FDA or CDC um, meetings that have happened in the last several months on vaccine-related issues, um, You know, inadequate studies, inadequate data, incorrect data, uh, failure to look at safety signals, a whole host of things. So that's, that's sort of mostly what I've been doing. Um, now looking at vaccine injury, trying to help vaccine injury patients and, um, you know, getting involved with the usual suspects uh, that you know. Um, and I was honored to have been included in the um, Senate uh, meeting hosted by Senator Johnson last week um, in the Russell building, um, which was which was called, I think, second opinion, COVID, a second opinion or something. I was one of the uh, 10, I think, uh, panel members on that on that uh, meeting. So um that's it. Tommy, Tommy, congratulations on
1: that interview uh a week after the Johnson. What I I mean, take a no, take you, a bow, you man. You
2: can keep scrolling. There's there's more doctors.
1: Yeah, let's go back to the uh the gal uh Aaron. Uh but what again? I mean, did no, you I just send him in? Just keep,
2: keep scrolling down. Urso, He was there. Oh, Paul Merrick. He was there. Paul Merrick heads up uh, the FLCCC, the Frontline COVID Critical Care Alliance. Yeah, I had a. Let's, I, had, I think I had
1: him Can you all. go? To, can you go to the the Black woman doctor because I didn't know her name. I know Christina these other Parks. doctors. Christina Parks is her name. Okay, let's give her a chance because I don't think our audience knows her, but she was very knowledgeable and uh, she had talked about. Uh, you know how these things should be tested beforehand, and all this sort of thing. But she was very detailed in her descriptions. There she is. Here we go. This is going to be
2: the recording cool. with this oh, We didn't. Swinger. I don't think we talked Marks about. Like- You're now showing me for everybody watching. I, don't I don't think you we
3: talked skydiving, about any, like, in like science or anything things. for like the
2: first ten minutes. FYI. Yeah, absolutely, Tivas. That's how yeah. I think skydivers and well, that's okay. want who- uh, about this. She's a skydiver. What it is is yeah. it's a physician like yourself. There are very I'm,
3: few- I'm a PhD, so
2: a doctor, nonetheless, yeah, a doctor.
3: I don't, I don't treat people as I someone as
2: someone who's not a doctor. You're all doctors, all right? <laughs> so, just <laughs> take it, take it in stride. But there's something about. There are very few people that <clears throat> you you sort of grow up knowing you can trust. Like you can trust your parents, your grandparents, but everything else, right? Even you go to right. I mean, but you go to you go to Jiffy Lube or something, right? You always want to make sure you have the friend that kind of knows how cars work because you're like, am I getting taken for a ride? Is this guy? You need headlight fluid. You know, you don't want to get screwed over. I don't know anything about technology, but even like getting a phone and I'm like, do I need this phone or that phone? You're always trying to like needle in and at least do some due diligence enough to boil it down. Are you getting a fast one pulled on you by some smooth talking salesman? But people in the medical field, I'll put it that way. People in the medical field, there's always been this sort of, like I just... I trust them. Now, if it's someone, something that I don't need, like, hey, you need plastic surgery, I I know, but really, kind of anyone a a nurse, a physician's assistant, a PhD, a researcher, a doc, whatever, a psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever. There is this sort of implicit trust that you're like, this person is smart enough to do this. If you're, as my uncle, a, a pathologist who graduated from Duke Med School said, if you're smart enough to do this you're smart enough to do something else making more money and to me what that's always meant is they didn't choose investment banking or lobbying for big oil because there's something about them that they want to help people still make money but help people and that that trust that's been built up over generations is to me is what's being crucified right now is and that is what's so evil to me. And not only that trust, but also the abuse of that, of the, of, of the white coat on the news on Fox or CNN saying, if you don't get this, you're killing grandma. And you're going, Hey, I just want to know what's in this. I don't know anything about biology, but aren't some people having like mild card. Oh, look at this guy. thinks you're going to get mild card and you're belittled and you feel like shit. And it's like, it's one thing to be mean. It's another thing if a trusted person in your life belittles you and gaslights you. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Is. But what is it that's driving
1: you to do all of this?
3: It's exactly the same thing. But um, I got into this battle before COVID, and I got in because of vaccine injury. My um, my my graduate degree. Um, in cellular molecular biology was in the field of cytokine signaling, which is how the immune system signals. So um, I always saw plausible injury and I saw weird things happening with the vaccine schedule that didn't make any sense. And as a scientist, you really look at the, look at what's happening a a little more critically. Like when they were saying, oh, we don't see any evidence that vaccines cause autism. I'm like, that means they haven't looked and they're not going to. You know, as scientists say things in a specific way, And I was able to sort of, you know, listen to what they were saying and go, okay, they're trying to make it sound like they're saying this, but what they're really saying is this. And they moved the vaccines under the age of two. They added things like varicella. So some things went up on my radar and then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse until when I adopted my own children, I was like, what is going on? I've got to figure out what's going on. But I also saw the injury. I saw the autism, the encephalitis. And you couldn't convince me that there was no correlation, right? I didn't know exactly what it was or what the mechanism was, but I thought there was a possible mechanism. Because when I was in graduate school, we hadn't even identified all of the cytokine receptors. So how in the world could we know what these were doing to the immune system? We didn't even know what all the parts and pieces of the immune system are. And we're still figuring that out. And so, um, as and then they um, eventually put PubMed online. And when I realized that, there were a few doctors like Dr. Suzanne Humphreys that um, I really looked into the science and got me going down that road because before the internet, there was just not a good way to find this information. And so I found PubMed online and started doing a deep dive into the actual scientific literature. And there's tons of mechanisms. There's hundreds of papers that you can put together, but you have to have the background in in order to tell the story. At the same time, like I remember, you know, my daughter had uh, brain abscess, severe, uh, catastrophic brain damage. She had been home from, We've gotten her from, uh, you know, adopted her from Ethiopia. She'd been home just a matter of weeks and they wanted to give her the DTAP vaccine. And I was like, no way. (laughs) She already got catastrophic brain injury. She needs like encephalitis on top of it? Like, no. And, you know, the doctor made me feel like any other parent would have came. That like, you know, she's going to die. You know, she's like, you know, well, pertussis, if she gets it, she might not die. But it's going to be the worst three weeks of your life. And I'm like, yeah, but it'll only be three weeks. It won't be a lifetime of autism or brain damage or, or whatever it is. And, um, I was confident because of my background that I knew enough to make a decision. Most parents cave. And then if their child is injured, they feel later feeling incredible guilt, or they spend most of their life in denial that no, no, I really didn't do anything that hurt my child because I didn't know better. And so, but when I see these parents being gaslit, so I, you know, it wasn't any, my own personal experience. I don't have a vaccine injured child because I was very careful about which ones I selected. And, um, but watching these parents be gaslit and be told there's no plausible mechanism. And you know, it angered me. And so and and I also knew that we can't fix it until we know the mechanism because there's actually, you know, a pleiotropic, just a panoply of different mechanisms of injury. And you have to know what's injuring a specific child to know what's going to work. So you always get, you know, someone saying, Well, this worked great for my child, and then everybody else tries and like it won't work for my child. Because it depends on what the mechanism of injury is. And so um, I have, and still learning, learning, learning so that we can know as much as we can about the mechanism of injury so that where there's ability to, <coughs> excuse me, um, recover some of these children and now adults from the COVID vaccine, um, that, that we can do that. And um, it, it feels like a huge uphill battle, but I do believe God is on our side. And I do believe the tide is changing, turning, so that there will be a lot more people demanding this and um, more resources. And so, um, you know, we're trying to get a vaccine injury treatment alliance up and running with doctors and scientists to identify first for the COVID vaccines, but eventually more globally. Mechanism of injury and and then diagnostics. because if you don't know what tests to have your doctor do, then you can't address you know, you know, they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. I checked the five things I thought to check. And you're like, they didn't check anything that was actually going to tell you something. So if you know, if you already have an idea of what mechanism the injury is, like check these and then that shows up and they're like, oh, I guess something is wrong with you. And then you can say, if these diagnostics pop up, here's possible treatments. So that's what we're trying to get on for um, COVID injury and eventually for more generally vaccine injury. Again, because so much money has been put into this, this is where, you know, like I'm kind of looking over my shoulder. Um, they don't want to admit that there's this injury because they know that really they are liable because there's an incredible amount of fraud that's been occurring. So even their they're liability free for everything on the childhood schedule. And now that's why they're pushing this vaccine on children is because they're not going to they're never going to have an FDA approved vaccine that has liability. They're going to move right from the U.A., to putting it on the childhood schedule so that it still has no liability. That's why they're giving it to children when they know they don't need it. And so, but even so, there's enough fraud that's occurred here and with the Childhood vaccines that they should be able to be litigated based on the fraud that they've perpetuated, not just on you know them not having liability.
1: If you're just joining us now, we're reviewing the life of Tommy Kerrigan and the best of Kerrigan. And Tommy we, we probably have another you have another podcast coming up here on the hour, right? We can't keep going. No on,
2: yeah, no I I got to I got to run in 4 minutes.
1: Yeah. So we're going to leave it right there, but Tommy, next Sunday at 2 p.m. can we pick this back up because sure. I want to do the best of care again. Again, this is mm-hmm. an incre- incredible volume of stuff you've done. It's amazing stuff. Well,
2: thank you my man. I'll make a note of it right now. You next Sunday.
1: And we're going to do this two solid hours. We're going to just do the first clips of all your stuff and allow people to have a sampler. And I'm going to ask some questions. We're a little bit more in depth, but next Sunday, Tommy Kerrigan two to four, the best of Kerrigan coming right at you.
2: Thank you so much, George. That would be badass.
1: All right. We'll look forward to it. Aaron, do you want to say goodbye to Tommy? He's only got one minute left.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we can say goodbye to everybody and even he can leave. We're going to play it out with this. I didn't keep it on the browser. I'll show for nothing. So all right. We can take your faces away and we Thanks, can point it out you with a You can keep me, but,
1: but say goodbye to Well, Tony.
0: you can leave whatever, tiny time. This is the clip you wanted, right? All right. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'll the, you thank
2: you so much. And, uh, George, I'll, I'll have the audio to this episode uploaded. Everything will be uploaded tomorrow. I have to run after this. This stuff Great. will all be up tomorrow, and I'll text you, all right? Okay. Awesome. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having me on. Peace.